This episode is brought to you in part by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Experience the joy and freedom that comes from a faith that perseveres. Check out Unshakable Moxie, growing a resilient faith at unshakablemoxie.com from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Visit unshakablemoxie.com. As I learned to sort of differentiate the thoughts and the voices in my brain, I was able then to look at them. And then of course, there's a practice in the book that I introduce, it's called Notice, Discern and Respond. It is possible to nurture an unhurried heart in the midst of the flurry. You're not good enough. It's someone else's fault. They have more than I do. These are the thoughts that can really rattle around in our heads and take us down a spiraling path towards unhealth. But as Christians, we believe our minds should be renewed. So what do we do about that? Well, I've invited Jem Fadling onto the podcast. She's the author of Hold That Thought and the founding partner of Unhurried Living, Inc., and a certified life coach and trained spiritual director who coaches women at the intersection of spiritual leadership and soul care. You'll enjoy listening to this conversation and get some practical tips about how you too can hold that thought. Listen in. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy Podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. Friends, I am joined by Jem Fadling. Her most recent book is called Hold That Thought, Sorting Through the Voices in Our Heads. She and her husband have Unhurried Living. It's a nonprofit all to help train and coach folks all in the areas of spiritual direction and listening to the spirit, as well as what does it look like to actually live an unhurried life. So if you've read my book, A Spacious Life, I'm sure that you will know that Jem and I have lots of crossovers, and so I'm so excited to welcome you, Jem, to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be with you today. Oh, it's wonderful. So tell us a little bit about where this book came from. I know you have had these kind of spiritual practices. You'd actually begun Unhurried Living as a as an organization to help other people live less hurried in their souls and in their, you know, in their schedules. But then you write about you actually had these bouts of anxiety. What was that about? Yeah, well, you know, over the course of time, there's so many things to be interested in. And in the last handful of years, I got, I was just fascinated by our thought life. You know, knowing that we are more than that, we are more than our thoughts. And of course, classically speaking, um, the desert fathers and mothers, if they would have, if you would have said thoughts to them, they would have known that it meant intuitions and feelings. It was a bigger word than we use it. So I just sort of got interested in that. And um, I just went down this path of you are not your thoughts. And as I woke up more and more to that, I realized, um, of course, I already knew that anxiety was a big part of my life. 
obviously it's gone way back in various permutations over the course of my life. Um, but when we started Unhurried Living, uh, it's like it ramped up to another level because it's hard to start something new, right? It's, it's, it's hard, even though what we do and who we are and what we offer is decades old, the organization was new and that just takes a lot of work to become an entity. So yeah, my anxiety was getting uh, triggered, you know, in little ways over the course of those first few years. And then in a big way, about once a year, I would hit something that felt like, oh, oh, something's, something's not right here. I would get super tired or, you know, my heart would beat or whatever. And I was able to sort of manage it. Um, but the fourth year, I was unable to manage it. And that's the big story that I open up with in the book. But, you know, it's thoughts. It is, it is my nervous system, of course, but it's all, also the thoughts that kick in. You, this isn't going to be good enough. What if no one finds you? You'll never, and this is ironic for an unhurried living person, you know, you won't, you don't, you don't have enough time, right? The, these are the thoughts that get us riled up. And so the book sort of emerged over time as I started piecing together the thoughts that were bringing me down in my anxiety, but also my fascination with that idea of you are not your thoughts paired with be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine there are so many people, especially in the last several years, who found their thoughts spinning out of control. You know, anxiety, like we all have a low-grade anxiety just from, you know, what we thought the world was being turned quite upside down, you know, in the last several years because of COVID-19. Um, you know, and as you consider that kind of context in which we're all kind of living with this buzz of anxiety, you know, what were the ways, and you can maybe help our listeners think through for themselves, but what were the ways that then you were able to even pay attention and name those thoughts, to catalog them or to do kind of a thought audit, uh, if you will? <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, it really began with awareness, which is where most things begin, right? You have to know about something and know that you have an option. And so the idea that I was not my thoughts meant I could take a step back. And in my first spiritual direction training, they talked about this dynamic inside of us. They called it the inner observer, but I think it's just that that part of us that that can be objective. You know how when you're having a conversation in your head and there's one voice, you know, they've got the angel and the devil on the shoulder, the classic. You're having a conversation with yourself. Hopefully, at times, one of those voices is that is that more objective, maybe closer to the true self version of yourself. So as I learned to sort of differentiate the thoughts and the voices in my brain, I was able then to look at them. And then of course, there's a practice in the book that I introduce, it's called Notice, Discern and Respond. And so the first step is just to notice what's happening up there. And actually unhurried living really slides into here easily because you kind of have to believe that you do have enough time to take a pause once in a while you know, you talk about a spacious life. Most people don't think through that they do have a spacious life. And unhurried sounds like this foreign language. What do you mean by unhurried? I mean, everything's coming at us at a slamming pace, right? But it is possible to nurture an unhurried heart in the midst of the flurry. So that's what I'm talking about. Can you believe by faith that you could pause and see what's going on? So for me, that was the first step. I just started watching. What are the thoughts? What are they leading to? 
or I would catch myself like all freaked out. And then you kind of back up, right? Like, okay, what, what led me to this moment where my shoulders are raised and my jaw is clenched and my heart is beating fast? What have I been thinking this morning? So, I mean, it sounds like too, because, you know, at this point, like you were saying even earlier that the self that you're offering is decades old, right? So you'd had so many years of spiritual disciplines and practices baked into your life. And yet, you know, you're still struggling and anxiety is ramped up. Are they kind of like two different lanes on the highway and you're learning how to merge them into one? You know, was that where? Yeah. um, Well, see, the thing is, is yeah, all along the way, (laughs) I think all along the way we're trying to merge, right? Right, yeah. And But life is real and stress is real. I mean, when we started Unhurried Living, of course, it was before um, COVID-19. But again, the stress of starting something new and then COVID-19 hit about four years in, um, just after I had this major bout of anxiety. But yeah, I think that's true. This is why I believe so much in the spiritual practices. And let me add in therapy. <laughs> Because in midlife, I had a a really good dose of some therapy that really helped. It helped me unwind a lot of the reasons I had been anxious over the course of the first half of life. And so all of those things add together over time to bring you more and more freedom. So I believe, though, too, you know, of course, there's some amazing freedoms I'm enjoying now because my walk with God is decades old. And yet, as we just heard, I can still get triggered like the best of them. But wherever you are, which was true for me and you, Ashley, I think, I mean, wherever we are at some point in our life, first half, middle, whatever, um, God can meet us right there and I can still have freedom. And I think those freedoms compound. And, you know, as so as we as we think about noticing kind of our thoughts as the very first step, you're then able to kind of. Uh, in, throughout your book, name those different voices um, and tell us that process of being able to say, okay, you know, here's here's that inner critic or here's that stressed achiever. Um, and it almost feels like a personality profile, right? Like you, you, here's your Myers-Briggs or Enneagram type. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but I think we right. can have all of these. They can be a host, right? A host of voices in our head. Uh, but tell us about how we're able to take from, you know, I, maybe I'm, I'm noticing, you know, all the negative self-talk about beginning a new venture and all the fears that um, are swirling in my head and then find myself paralyzed, let's say, as, you know, to kind of take your example. How do you begin to then name those different aspects of those swirling thoughts so that then you can remember, yeah, you are not your thoughts and your mind must be renewed? Yeah, it's it's really a further practice of that noticing. You know, if you can pause and kind of see if there's a theme, one of the things you could do if you were to pause, and you find yourself in the middle of the day with something that's agitated you, um, you can even just take five minutes and just get out a piece of paper, type it in your notes on your phone, whatever you want to do, and make a list of the thoughts that you've that you can remember thinking that day that might have led to this. You know, something simple like. Um, the list I made, you'll never, you don't have enough time for this. It's not going to be good enough. You know, these are stressful thoughts. And even if they don't, usually they have a theme, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're just random out of control things. I find that most thoughts, if you drill all the way down to the center, you'll find something like you feel out of control, you don't feel safe, or there's some version of what other people are going to think. 
right? I mean, those are kind of the the central, that's, that's Father Keating, you know, the programs for happiness, power and control, security and safety, affection and esteem. Usually you can drill down. But I found for myself, especially the stressed achiever and the inner critic were very loud because that stressed achiever is trying to get something done and then she doesn't think she has enough time. <laughs> and so there's this, this overload. And then the inner critic as well is about perfection. So quite often I would get riled into perfectionism. So as I was proposing this book to my editor, I had this list of three or four three or four voices that I had named, and it was going to be a part of a chapter, but she saw that and she was like, I think this might be, can you blow these up? Can you make more voices <laughs> and, you know, talk about them? And so I did, I did actually um, think around the circle of the Enneagram because I wanted to make sure I, this is not an Enneagram book. I don't even say the word in the book, but as I was naming them, I wanted to make sure that I captured um, what most of us might be thinking at one time or another. So even though there's seven voices, there's nine on the Enneagram, you can still see the stressed achiever could be a three on a bad day, right? <laughs> the positive thinker who's going into denial could be a seven who's not, you know, in reality. Inner critic is obviously the one. I mean, it's not one-to-one -one correlation, but I think you're right. The unsettled heart, the passive spectator, the complaining victim, I think we can find that we've had one of those voices talking to us at any point in our life and probably one or two of them ring out the most. You know, that is really fascinating as we consider the ways in which even our personalities or our wiring then, you know, speaks untruth to ourselves. Um, how have then you moved through, let's say you said, you said the um, inner critic particularly. Let's just work with her for a moment. What does that look like? How does it come up for you? And then how have you begun to both name it, to notice it, and then to begin to speak truth to yourself rather than, you know, continuing in those patterns? What does that look like? Can it work us through an example? Yeah. So here's, here's an example. I think I might have even put it in the book. Um, or maybe it's in my other book. But anyway, it's in a book. Um, just buy all our books. So again, <laughs> just buy them all yeah, and read right. them. But yeah, so here's here's how the critic shows up for me. Usually it's when um, I'm not at my best. I'm super tired or I'm stressed because then I just, I go directly to sort of, you know, harsh thinking, you know, just there's only like, it's like I turn into a computer, like there's only ones and zeros, right? And then, the, and then there's just frustration because things aren't right and I'm just perseverating. So um, for example, there was one time many years ago, Alan and I were, we, we hosted the Unhurried Living podcast together and we were getting ready to have a conversation and we're sitting across from each other at a table downstairs and I'm just agitated. Things aren't working right. The mic isn't what I want and what we're saying isn't what I want. And, and I'm just, I'm escalating, you know, and Alan's on there. So then it turns into this lovely moment <laughs> and you get about five minutes into that and everybody's frustrated. And all of a sudden I woke up. I don't, I, I I just think it's a grace sometimes. Or if you get pushed too far, then you go, okay, wait, stop. You know, something usually kicks in. And I, my, I was in perfectionism. This isn't right. And that's not right. And, you know, and I realized after we talked about it for just a couple minutes, I said, you know what, Alan, what's actually happening here is that I'm afraid. I'm afraid someone's not going to, we're going to look dumb. 
we're going to say something that's not good enough, you know, all of just the fear about what other people are going to think about what I'm providing. Okay. That was all underneath. And Alan had this great idea. Actually, it is in this book. Now I'm remembering. Um, it's in a different chapter than the inner critic, I think, but it's, st it still fits. He's like, could you, is what we're doing right now a B plus? And I was like, um, yeah, yeah, I could probably give it a B plus. And he said, well, for today, can we just, can we just do a B plus? Cause I was trying to have an A plus. <laughs> and, and he said, and he said, for most people, a B plus is going to be just fine. And so this is the kind of conversation, you know, this was between my husband and I, sometimes it's good to talk it with someone because then you do find out what's going on, but you can have the same conversation inside yourself. So now that we had that conversation, I've used that a, a bunch of times with myself. When I get riled up, I'm like, am I providing at least a B plus? This isn't C work or D work, right? No, no, I'm doing my best. So then I, I shift the dialogue and I realize that I'm trying to get an A plus, which is causing me stress, which I don't want. So I'll just say, okay, that's one way to go. What I'm going to do right now is pivot. And I'm going to say that I'm, God has, God loves me. I always go back to God because that's a great place to start. God loves me. God sees me. God holds me. I can offer the best of what I have right now. And then whatever someone's going to do with it, I'm going to leave that up to them. And so over the course of time, I've come up with that shift that works really well for me. And that's an in-the-moment thing. It took me, you know, five minutes to say it, but now it can happen in you in 10 seconds because you go, oh yeah, I recognize that. That's not what I'm going to do today. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Do you think women particularly have harsher voices in their head? I mean, I don't know. I'm only a woman, so I, <laughs> I just it feels to me, you know, even what you get on Instagram or whatever, where people are saying, like, we need to stop talking about how we look in such negative ways, you know, for instance, as an example. But um, have we been taught to internalize some of those voices, those negative voices, particularly as women? I, I just think yes. You know, again, I can't speak for men. I know there are some men, depending on your personality, especially if you struggle with the inner critic, I'm sure a man can have just as unhelpful voices. But I know for sure it's a struggle for women. It's a struggle for me. And implicitly all over the internet on social media, 
there are messages all the time about what I'm not and about what I don't have. And so envy can creep in so easily. And especially as we're aging, I'm well into the second half of life now. And it's, I've been it, it, all in my 50s now. It's just year by year, I have to adjust to how my body is changing. And it doesn't suit the beautiful, perfect narrative of the airbrushed whatever you're seeing everywhere, you know, the anti-aging whatever. And so things are sagging or whatever, you know, more freckles, what more wrinkles of the, the menopausal belly. I mean, everything you have to, uh, the weakness in my muscles. I'm like, I got to work out more. This is crazy. But so that's a journey in and of itself. But yes, so you can see how already the inner critic could come in and say, you need to fix this body. It's not good enough. It's not smooth enough. It's not young enough. What are you going to do to fix that? And I just think there's so many better things we could be doing with our time <laughs> and our energy, like love and serve God and people and, you know, move on to that next beautiful vision that you have. There's so much more to do than, than worry. I still do. I'm a human woman, you know, but it is, it's a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. How, what, what role does community play in some of this? You know, I think, you know, on one end, we have kind of the kind of social media, quote unquote, community um, that we have wonderful connections, right, across social media. It's how we like got connected right in the beginning. But um, but at the same time, it's not it's not as thick. It's not you know, it's not like having a personal conversation or being in each other's lives uh, day by day. So we have maybe that version of community, which might feel tend to feel shallow or could feel like an echo chamber often based on algorithm. And then we have, you know, our local communities. You, you even spoke about the ways of you being able to verbalize your thoughts uh, to your husband and how he was able to speak truth back to you. So what role does community play in helping us take our thoughts captive? Oh, it's, it's huge. Of course I have. I have a beautiful circle of friends. You know, we're scattered all over the place now because you know how when you've had a friend for a long time, of course, now you've probably moved around. But I have um, a beautiful community scattered. But when we talk, we can go straight there. And so we share, we've we've nurtured trust, safety, um, non-fixing. I mean, I have, I'm so blessed I know that not everybody knows how to find this because women tell me this. I don't know how to find people that I can trust and that I can share my what I'm actually thinking with. And I realize um, I have a beautiful collection of those kinds of women. Um, one of my closest friends, I actually call her the vault. I said, I'm like, I call her and I'm like, or I'm like, can we get together for lunch? I said, I got to talk something through with you that I just need to say. I need to hear it out loud. And I need, and so she's my vault. I can say stuff to her and she just holds it. She doesn't judge me. She's had just as much or worse ideas. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. So, and we do, we do that for each other. So um, community is important. And if you can't find a friend like that right now, you know, a therapist or a coach or a spiritual director, a spiritual director is a beautiful kind of holy vault in that way. And I think it's important for us to express because sometimes we can't figure out what's going on in our head until we process it out our mouth. 
Some people can do a lot of work up there by just thinking, but I'm an outside processor. I got to see it or hear it. And then I go, oh, I see. So um, finding a way to share what's going on inside yourself in a safe space, I think is really important. And what role does scripture play in the local church too in this in this journey for you? And, you know, as we consider how we might apply some of this work to our own lives. Yeah, well, scripture to me is um, in a good way. I think it's not changing. I'm changing <laughs> yeah, <laughs> over yeah. the course of my life. You know, I've moved beyond. It's just this set of rules and things that I'm not doing well enough and stories that you don't understand, which, you know, of course, there's mystery. But more and more often when I encounter scripture, um, I'm finding, I just go, oh, wow. I mean, that really is how things work. There is wisdom here. You know, there's so much good, even psychology, that scripture doesn't call itself a psychologist, but there's a lot of really good, healthy thinking, healthy options that are shown and, and, some, and some cautionary tales, shall we say. So I, <laughs> that's what not to do. But um, just any scripture, one of my favorite scriptures that I talk about often is, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. All right? This is a beautiful, sweeping invitation to engage a life of process. This is just good news. We call the gospel the good news. And for a lot of us, we've come up through um, a system that we've been hurt in so many ways. And, and I know that deconstruction is this big term that everyone's talking about um, and, and going through. And I understand, I heard uh, Brian Zahn say, it's not that we're deconstructing our faith. A lot of us are actually deconstructing fundamentalism. And so we're trying to untether ourselves from the things that um, were not as grace-filled. That's a nice way of saying it. So for me, scripture now is coming alive. The life of Jesus, who he was, what he said, who he said it to, what he acted like. You know, so I let that inform my inform me and I carry it around. I've been reading through the gospels over and over for years now, just soaking in the ways of Jesus. And so now I have what I call a holy assumption um, of what it's like to love because Jesus shows us so well. So, um, and then you, I think you asked about scripture and the church. Yes. If you have a beautiful church community, are there ways in which they have a connection point for you where you could practice, you know, sharing your actual heart? It's very easy for a lot of people to go to church and think we got to put on that, put on something that makes it look like we're all together. I get that. I've been that. Um, but some point we have to, Right start taking off the veil. And what you said about COVID-19, I think we're all getting pressed. We're so stressed. At some point, there's a breaking point here where we can't just keep going the way we've always been going. Um, authentic, um, safe connection is just more important than ever right now. Yeah. You know, thank you. What What's your hope, you know, as, as folks read the book um, and move, move through it? I know you You've started a new community as well online, so it's a you know a membership community. It's a place probably for some of those folks who feel a little bit unhoused uh, in other forms of community. But yeah, tell us the ways that you're hopeful this work will extend beyond just reading your book. Yeah, I started the same time the book was released. I uh, 
revamped uh, my online membership community. It's called Replenish. And I love that word because it's just, it's like water on your face, right? I'm getting replenished. But the connotation is that we are women. It, the, the membership is for women. Um, we are busy. Our lives are full. We do give to our loved ones and we work and we share and we serve. At the same time, we need to um, remember to replenish that which gives out. So I see that as a beautiful cycle so that we're not running on empty. Inside replenish then, what I'm trying to do is, is yes, open my arms to the women that I've been hearing over the years, multitudes, most women I talk with. I can't find someone who's having the conversations I want to have. So this is my effort to provide an online space where all the women who feel that way can come. And you don't have to feel that way. You can come anyway. But I just know that there's a lot of women who feel like they don't have a place. And so we're offering monthly resources, not too many, not too few, just enough. So every month you can engage at your own pace, resources, interviews that we're doing, actual practices that you can try on. And then four times a month, we have live online Zooms where you can gather with the mentors and other women and have some group coaching and some small group interaction. Um, so that's the gist of what it is. And I welcome anyone who wants to join. It's at unhurriedliving.com slash replenish. There's already a good number of women in there who are chatting it up in our private Facebook group and enjoying gathering in our Zooms. And um, it's these women, what filters them is that they are very serious about their walk with God. And they don't want to be alone in, in their journey. Mm, that's really beautiful. Well, thank you for just helping us even think through the, the thoughts in our heads. And yeah, what do we do with them? How do we name them, notice them, move through them so that we can actually be those wise and grounded uh, people and move forward in the world? So um, as we conclude, I love ending all my conversations with asking everyone their laundry routine as a way to connect those dots between the things that are big and weighty and our everyday normal lives. So what does your laundry routine look like these days? Well, my laundry routine um, is easier than it's ever been because my husband does his own laundry. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so, um, so about once a week, I go to my closet and we've, I've, got, I've got bins for the different things on the floor because I have a walk-in closet. And so all you do is pick up the load you want to do and do what you want to do with it. And then I have a hanging in the garage with hangers and stuff. Um, and I like my system right now. It's easy to do. I only, and I have enough clothes. Yay. I can go a week or week and a half without having to really do anything. Yeah. So. I love it. I love it. The hanging system too. I think that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother level of good organization. Yeah. I so, like to do that because yeah. a lot of things, you know, they wrinkle or whatever or fade. And so I just hang most things. Yeah. I finally switched out all my hangers recently and got all matching velvet hangers instead of and that was at Costco. It's good. It's good. Okay. Was, Thanks I, for the those, tip. Those small things can make a really big difference. New hangers. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jem, so much for being with us. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. I enjoyed that really practical and thoughtful conversation with Jem Fadling. You can, of course, follow her and Unhurried Living on social media, as well as sign up for that Replenish group. The link is in the show notes. You can grab a copy of her book, Hold That Thought. It's a helpful practice with so many 
good starting points to help us begin to think about our thought life in a more objective sort of way instead of just simply being victim to our thoughts. So I'd encourage you to pick up a book at the link in the show notes and follow Jim on social media. I love leaving my listeners with one small step. So as we move forward into our week, I would encourage you to simply sort of do a thought audit. What does it look like to begin to notice and name the sorts of thoughts that come into our head? Maybe you find yourself in a particular moment in the day where because of your tiredness or lack of water or the fact that you haven't read your Bible or you're feeling lonely, you find these sorts of thoughts intruding. So begin to notice what time or when these thoughts emerge and then begin to put some words around it. Maybe it's that inner critic that Jem mentioned that is always complaining and is always feeling like she's not good enough. When you have noticed, then hopefully you can pick up Jem's book or return to scripture or speak truth to another person in your life to begin to move out of our own heads because we need each other to begin to heal uh, and to begin to move forward as wise, grounded people in the world. Thank you, friends, for being here. Would you take just a minute and rate and review the Finding Holy podcast? And if this has been a helpful episode, would you share it with a friend? These are the sorts of things that continue to help us as we move forward in our lives and, of course, as we listen to good conversations. Remember, friends, big things matter, but so does your laundry.